Welcome to the Dog Entrepreneur Podcast, where we bring good business to light. I apologize ahead of time for the poor production quality. This is my very first podcast I ever recorded, and I learned a lot since then. I promise they get much better from here on out. All right, here we go. The average dog bite claim is close to $40,000 per occurrence, according to the Insurance Institute. I know, that's crazy. Is insurance important? I'd say so. Dog bites, dog fights, dogs destroy shoes, carpet stains. These are all real possibilities in the pet care world. I was lucky enough to interview 25-year veteran David Pearsall, owner of the Business Insurers of the Carolinas, a specialty insurance group who provides a wide variety of coverages from basic liability to cyber insurance. David made himself available to discuss common mistakes owners make when choosing policies and the right questions to ask. David has personally changed the liability protection coverages we benefit from today. Thanks to him, changes to policies have been made to cover more potential liabilities than ever before. So drop him an email and say thanks. Let's welcome David Pearsall. Thank you for coming and sharing all your knowledge and wisdom with us and experience. How did you get started in, you know, particularly the pet care industry as far as covering liability for these wonderful people out there? Thanks, Gary. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's a great question. I actually, you know, it was kind of pure luck. Yeah, you could say that I entered into the pet care field. You know, I, I graduated college with a uh, degree in resort management and had been working out at uh, a couple ski resorts out west and blew out my knee and came home and uh, went to work for my father who at the time had an insurance agency here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And he he had hired a producer who had worked at a wholesaler, a producer being an uh, insurance salesman that had worked at a with a wholesaler in Charlotte that had been um, approached by a an association in 1992, and uh, they had about 300 pet sitters at that time looking for coverage because mm-hmm. at that time there there, there was really no uh, insurance company willing to properly cover a pet sitter. Um, and what I mean by proper, we're certainly get into it in this call, but they weren't giving the, the coverage for the pets that that were real, was really needed, and uh, a lot of people were just a lot of insurance companies were just simply scared of the dog bite liability. So the premiums were either in excess of $1,000 to get started, or they didn't cover what you needed to cover. So in, wow. okay. And so when I moved back to Chapel Hill in 1995, it just so happened that this producer had another program for antique dealers, and he decided to go into basically like uh, on the road, just like the uh, antique road show, and meet with different antique dealers across the country and, and insure those folks. And so he left the uh, pet sitter program as a, as a trade with my father that we could just we could have the program. I don't think he thought much of it at the time because there was 300 <laughs> and you know there wasn't a whole lot of premium there as far yeah. as a, a big client. And so I just started working in the agency and got licensed and went to a commercial lines school in '95 to '96. Then we had a major hurricane hit. But anyway, so that I just started with servicing some of the pet sitters at that time, and as, out of that, 
we just year over year we just started to see tremendous growth and we just you know I say it's pure luck it just started at that time where the growth just started expanding and then the internet came along and and, and you know that was that so yeah so I, I you know and you know we started with 300 and now you know we probably over the years insured over 20,000 or plus uh, maybe more than that, but we we currently, you know, we insure about eight thousand um, pet sitters, dog wow. walkers, uh, trainers. And do you specifically work with the, the different organizations? So I'm I'm an, um, a member of the IACP, the International Association of Canine Professionals. So that's how I got to know you guys. Do you have to have an affiliation with an organization to get coverage through you guys, or can I just call? Yeah, um, what we do yeah. is we, it, our, our programs were born out of the associations, and we strongly believe in associations because they uh, help continue in education. And, you know, I can use them to assist getting out the word on what types of claims we see mm -hmm. and hopefully educate members, and that, that makes it a, them a better client for the insurance companies. As I, as I yeah. mentioned before, insurance companies were scared to death of this dog bite liability, and you know, and, and a lot of people just entering the business don't realize, and they, they go after that cheap policy, and they, they don't realize what the true exposures are and how the coverage forms read. So, you know, you have to be real careful. But we have, we've started our own association. If someone doesn't want to be a member of it, uh, if they absolutely are against it, we can offer coverage through Pet Care Affiliates, which is our own association. But then we also, since we're an independent insurance agency, we work with uh Many, many companies across the, you know, from the, the travelers, CNA, Hartford, Liberty Mutual, all the major insurance companies. So when we first started, none of them would write coverage for pet sitters or dog walkers. But ever, you know, as time has evolved, the, uh, many more companies have started to cover these, uh, this type of risk. And so we also have access to all of those carriers as well. And a lot of people don't realize that. So, it, I personally don't feel like their coverage and knowing the coverage forms like I do, I don't feel like they're as broad as what we offer under the association policies because we're able to uh, uh, make changes to our program a little faster than the nationals can do. And we try to listen to our, our members and, you know, grow based on what people like you say. You know, you tell me about stuff that, that I don't know because you're right there firsthand or we see claims arising out of something um, you know, those are the things we take a look at and try to be, you know, a leader in the field. So let's, let's just jump into it. So if I'm a one-person operation, I'm starting tomorrow, and I really want to sleep well at night knowing that I can go out, walk my dogs, and feel like everything is covered. So, we'll, you know, we're talking about covering the actual human clients, the dog clients, strangers. Where, where should I start? I mean, what, what will really make me be able to focus on the business and not worry about the liabilities of it? Well, I, I think you, you hit it on the head right there. The first thing being a liability, the, the liability policy for any startup is needed, whether you're a pet sitter, dog walker, or you're a, a carpenter or a plumber. Everybody that's doing a service for someone else should really have a liability policy because it, what a lot of people don't understand is they, they have a homeowner's policy, and this is one of the, the – the, uh, you know, common misconceptions that we hear people say well i'm covered or my homeowners or my personal umbrella but you know a lot what people don't understand is that most homeowners policies exclude liability for business uh so if you're operating a business you really don't have coverage under your homeowners policy or your renters policy at all so you know if you were to 
go out and walk a dog and that dog were to bite somebody and someone is injured, you know, you, you could get sued and certainly you would not have coverage under your homeowners or renters policy even though you yeah. may think you do, but that's not the truth. So you would really need a business liability policy to cover that exposure. And, you know, and you speak about um, human clients, dog clients, and strangers. All of those entities would be considered third party. So if anybody were to get bitten, um, you know, they, they would be covered under as far as a third party coverage. And you would need a, you know, I would recommend at least a million dollar liability policy. Another misconception people have is that, you know, I only need a hundred thousand. But it doesn't cost double the money to go to 100 to 300 to 500 It's really it's worth your while to go ahead and get the higher limits. It may cost you, you know, 10% more, to, but, but it's, to have so much more coverage, you, you're almost foolish not to have carry the million. And so we've always offered a million-dollar policy under our programs. Um, and then even when I write people with uh, the, the other insurance companies, Typically, we will quote a million dollars in liability per occurrence. Um, and so you know, general liability policy covers both property damage and bodily injury. And so, so if you were to have a dog in your care and the dog were to bite another dog that's walking down the street, that other dog would be a third party. And under legal forms, dogs are considered uh, property. So if, if, there's, if your dog were to bite another dog, that would be considered property damage. If your dog were to bite a human, that would be bodily injury. And both of those would be covered under a general liability, uh, basic liability limits. Wonderful. So that, that gets us while we're out walking. And one of the things I learned from, from you is a lot of things happen within the home that either the dog does or missteps um, by pet sitters. And that that's a completely different animal. The, the structure of the home, or is that also covered under the liability? That's a great question, and this is another you know myth and unknown by a lot of people that um, personal property in your care, custody, and control is excluded under most any general liability policy that's out on the market today. Most of them use, utilize the same forms, the same coverage forms, and the same coverage agreements. And almost every single one of them that I read, it has the uh, personal property or care custody control exclusion. So to to negate that or to get around that, you need an endorsement. Um, some people might call it a rider, but it's, it's you know it's the same thing. An endorsement is going to amend what the major portion of the policy says, or the major portion of the insuring agreement. So at that point, um, you need either a care custody control coverage form. Or you need a another type of coverage form, whether it's a professional liability, uh, errors and omissions that includes bodily injury and property damage, because a lot of professional liability policies cover errors and omissions, but they don't cover bodily injury or property damage. So you have to make sure you're reading the coverage forms carefully. Uh, under our association um, policies, we offer care custody control limit to cover the personal property. The house itself is considered real property. And real property is not excluded under the basic liability limits. So as a pet sitter, if you were to be heating up some food for the for a pet, or if you were you had a heat lamp and you know, if it's an exotic heat lamp and you were to take the lamp and, and set it on mm -hmm. the floor and ground, which is a claim we see pretty often, uh, and you were to start a fire, the real property is would be the home. So you would have up to a million dollars per occurrence. 
but the personal property, the contents of the home, there is no coverage under that limit, so you need to make sure you have a, an endorsement of some form to cover that. And under the association policies that we offer, we, we, op, we offer an options from 10000 up to 200000 Under some of policies I've read under the professional errors and omissions, they will cover up to a million dollars. So, but it really, you know, depends on, you know, is there true negligence there? Was it caused by you or the pet? So there's a lot of things that can come into play. So if the dog were to chew up the, the woodwork or chew up something, you're not necessarily negligent. And so that's another thing that we, we kind of learned as we grew and watched the claims happen. And so under, under you know, our, our policy, we have some things that we cover regardless of fault because we know that the pets could possibly cause damage. Also, we know that the pets themselves can be injured in your care and, you know, such as tearing an ACL while jumping off the back stairs or, you know, they ingest something on a walk. And so that those are all c covered under the care, custody, and control limit. Wonderful. If I'm the, the solo entrepreneur and I'm using my auto for work and personal, is there anything that I need to do as far as my, my liability with that, or is, am I covered under – my general car policy, or do I have to do anything to recommend covering yourself? Good question. If you're by yourself and you have your own vehicle, you know, what we see most of the time is a lot of people have their personal insurance tied to their home, and I don't blame you for that because you have a, a uh, usually you get a credit off your homeowner's insurance mm -hmm. and your auto when you combine them. What you have to be aware of, though, is to make sure that your personal auto insurer is aware that you are, are driving for business. And let them know, okay. and usually that's a, you know, it may cost a little more, but they, they do realize that you're driving. Some insurers may say, well, you need a commercial auto policy. And, you know, if, as you grow and you have other people working for you, we recommend commercial auto policies because typically a personal auto policy is only going to give you certain, it's only going to give you a limit of, it's, uh, you know, it may be as low as the state minimum. Some people may choose, you know, a, a state minimum limit of 50000 which if you were to hit somebody or hurt somebody, that may not go as far these days, especially with the defense costs and all the things that go into it, you know, with the payouts. Mm -hmm. So under a commercial auto policy, you can typically buy higher limits, a um, million-dollar limit, and then you can buy a commercial umbrella on top of that if you need to. Under a, under a personal auto, you can also buy a personal umbrella. So the personal umbrellas are, are really cheap, and they, they I think cheap in, in, in all schemes of insurance. It's uh, sense of the word, it's like, I think it's typically going to run you 150 to $200 to add an umbrella for most people, uh, depending on, it's usually based on the number of homes and autos you have. If you had multiple autos, then it's going to go up, obviously, and if you had multiple homes or toys, it's going to go up as well, but typically <laughs> you can get, get a personal umbrella for $150 to $250, and it gives you an extra limit to go over that policy, and they're typically going to require you to carry at least a $250,000 personal limit. And so that's what I, one of the things I would consider is if you were using your vehicle in the business, look at your policy limit on your personal auto policy. Make sure it's, it's, it's designated for business use, and if it's not and, and that limit's not very high, I would talk to my personal lines agent and whoever that may be, and, and request them and let them know that what you're doing with your vehicle and ask them for a higher limit. And they should suggest either a personal umbrella 
And then as you start to grow your business, then you may want to consider a commercial auto policy. The other thing is if, if you're putting signage or logos on your, your side of your vehicle, you may want to consider a commercial auto policy from the get-go because that opens your business up for a suit because they can sue you personally and they can sue the business. Under a personal auto policy, you would have no coverage for the business, whereas a commercial auto policy, you would have uh, coverage for the business and you're included as an insured, so you, ha you would be insured both ways. So there is some advantages to the commercial auto. Now, you had mentioned a little bit earlier about negligence. When you're when you're looking at the property contents and structure, so I'm looking at that part of my policy, big red flags right away with things that I want to look for as far as being negligent um, and understanding, you know, the percentages of the fault if things happen. Because you had mentioned I accidentally, you know, burned the floor with uh, with a heat lamp versus, you know, the, the dog tearing down curtains when I'm not there. Kind of dive into that a little bit. I don't know if that was a structured question. <laughs> That's okay, certainly. I, I think I know where you're going, and I'll, I'll try, and you can always correct me if I'm wrong. But, yeah, where, where that comes in, percentages of fault is, is really going to come down to, your, to the individual statutes, you know, in your states. Every state has different laws comes to liability and so and workers comp and, and that type of thing so you know and, and in some states you know if you're a keeper you know you're a, you're you're taking care of a pet and the pet's in your care you are 100 percent at fault whereas there's other states that say the dog owner is 100 percent at fault and then there's states that share in that responsibility so where a, wow. a so the pet you know and and each state is different i i, I would be crazy to tell you I know everyone off, by the, off the top of my tongue because I don't, but I, I know them as claims occur because I, I consult with our claims attorneys and they, they tell me and the adjusters tell me, you know, where we stand as far as those are concerned and who's at fault and, and so forth. So, you know, you, you I wouldn't say that as a pet sitter dog walker you need to concern yourself about that because the one nice thing, another fact about insurance that a lot of people don't understand is that if you are brought into a suit defense cost is outside of the limit in most cases, most policies that you see. You know, so it, if you were to be uh, sued for negligence and someone's alleging negligence against your business for burning down their house or for uh, getting bit by a dog in your care, the insurance company has their own attorneys that will defend you. Your limits don't start until that uh, settlement comes. You know, so now there may be some things like medical payments that they're going to pay, so those limits will start. But as far as the defense costs that incurred, depositions, um, you know, reading statutes, finding percentages of fault, fighting back, you don't have to worry about any of that. That's covered outside of the limit. So that that alone is a big, big thing, especially with the, the defense costs going up, you know, in the United totally. States today. So you know, that alone is worth the the three hundred to five hundred dollars you're going to pay. For liability coverage. Fascinating. Yeah, I had I had no idea that. So if I was gonna if I if I hear that information, I say okay, well I have to look into my state. Like where would I go to look for something like that? I've never even researched that. I didn't know it was different by state. Is it on our state website? Yeah, I mean you could probably look at consult it under under your state statute. That's a good question. I mean, I, basically when I I find out, I usually I'm working with the attorneys and totally, you know, yeah. at, and and so you know, but it is out there. It is public record. And you can look it up, and, and, and you can determine if your state is a keeper state. And a keeper state would be 
the dog is in your care, custody, and control, the pet is in your care, custody, and control, um, that you would be considered the keeper. Whereas other states okay. may say the owner is fully liable for any injury, any dog bites that occur. Um, and just because they're fully liable doesn't mean you still can't be sued <laughs> and you still have to defend yourself. <laughs> so even though the dog yeah. owner, like in California, may, be, you know, may say that, that, that the majority of it is going to go against the owner, they can still pull you in, and then you know, they can still try. And then the insurance company, if they say that the homeowner's insurance company pays for the dog owner, and they feel like that there's some kind of case against the pet sitter, they can subrogate, meaning they can then sue the insurance company of the pet sitter to go after and recoup the loss that they paid out, if they feel like there's any way to, around it. And so I let the, the attorneys get, get, do their jobs and navigate the laws. Yes. The nice thing is that I know that from a, from the average dog bite claim in North America just increased by 16% over the last year. Uh, this is according to like the Insurance Institute of America. I believe it's and State Farm has helped compile some of these this data, but it's uh, 37,500 is the average, and that's across the United wow. States. And so other other states. Uh, I think New York had the highest, or maybe it was Arizona had the highest, and it was about $56,000 for, for a dog bite in Arizona. And the reason for that is basically because of the, what's written in the law and also, you know, the uh, whatever's happened in individual cases. So, I mean, if there's a, a mauling, that's going to bring it up. You know, if there's if someone's bitten severely, you know, those could be – the higher the medicals from what I see, and when I say medicals – the medical cost for the injuries to 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 uh, heal the person and to to fix the person, bring them back to whole, if they if that's possible. Um, the higher the medicals, typically the larger the settlements in, uh, in the dog bite suits. Wow. So as as we're going forward here, and I'm I'm, I'm looking into some of the the possible avenues people go into with when they're structuring their business. Is, is there any different liabilities, or, or would they all be covered under the, the, the liability policy and, and the riders that we've talked about? For if I'm doing just in-home pet care, so I stay at the client's home, versus just going for daily walks, or if I board dogs at my home, or if I do group walks or private one-on-one -on -one walks, is there any liability things that I have to worry about, or do you think I should add more coverage to or less coverage to? depending on which avenue, you know, people decide to take their business? Yeah, that's a good question. We, we A lot of times, or, or how we've always done it and how we've always basically calculated the, the premiums and, and the exposure behind sit, pet sitting and overnight stays and dog walking. As, as a pet sitter, we feel like it, it's, there's a lot of similar overlap. As a dog walker, you probably have, not probably, you do have more exposure when you're going out in public. So there probably is less liability just going to the home, but then you you have the different types of claims that arise at the home, such as water damage to the home, a fire to the home, negligently leaving a crate open and the dog chewing up all the belongings. All those affect the home when you're spending the night and taking the dog out. But as far as dog walking, typically you, you when you're walking pets, if you're – you want to try to walk them at less busy times of the day. Make sure you take paths where, you know, make sure no one can touch the dog. I mean, that's where we see a lot of claims is people want to pet. Kids want to hug the dogs. 
you know, those are, you know, your worst, that's the worst case scenario when a child wants to hug a dog and they come up and you think the dog's great, never bitten anybody before, and that dog just doesn't, for whatever reason, like that hug and uh, gets the child in the face, which we've seen many, many times. And so those are obviously higher. And in a lot of states, we were just talking about the uh, the percentages of fault, you know, with the laws, a lot of states will say that the child has until 18 to bring suit. Yeah, so you have to really yeah. be careful. You know, the way I, I always try to teach everyone as far as risk management is, you know, if someone wants to pet the dog, you say, I'm working, I'd prefer that you not, and uh, just keep walking, you know, because it's, Mm-hmm. It's not your job to let the public pet the client's dog. Your job is to walk yeah. the dog. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, yeah, and I, 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 please don't take any offense to that. I'm just, I, that's just, that's the bottom line. No, totally. And that's what I teach in my course, too. I think your job is to bring the dog out and back safely. And yeah. there's there's no reason for a stranger to be to be petting the dog. And it's just, it's, uh, um, whether you think the dog is good or not, let the let the because I feel like I'm making that decision for the owners, which isn't fair. I, I mean, right. I'm putting their dog in a position to make an error, and that just you know, yeah, definitely, it's good advice. And, and you know, your job is to exercise the dog. We have lots of uh, of clients that go on on like these either ranch hikes or up in the mountains with dogs and do pack walks, and all those are fine. But again, you you have to worry about exposures when you're out walking. Because there are snakes and there are mm-hmm. things that you can step on, whether it's rocks or and there's things that dogs can ingest. I mean, we've had one, we had a claim about a couple months, well, maybe six months ago or so now, that a dog was hiking in the mountains of California and chased after a, a another little animal and jumped off a cliff. And, it, you know, so oh. lots of things can happen, even on dog walks, lots of things can happen at in-home as far as bodily injury and property damage, whatever you're doing, you want to make sure that you're doing it from the least amount of risk. Obviously, when you take dogs off leashes in public, mm-hmm. you are opening yourself up to more liability. So, you know, and then if you're going into homes, you, you have to be careful when you're opening doors if you have pets that are running around in the house because we have dogs that will just shoot out the door and get hit by a car or you know, go after something and they'll run away. So, you know, they're, they're not used to their owner not being there and then someone's coming to their house. So there's all yeah. all all the things come into play and we kind of look at the exposure as one. You know, there's the human aspect of, of human dog bites. There, there's the property damage, which is a lot of it's dog fights, dog on dog. And then there's injuries to the pets and your care, custody, and control. My next question, too, is, because um, I ran into this as I started to grow my business, like we all do, we get new skills, we go to a seminar, like you said, we're part of an organization and we take a continuing education course. Um, so, you know, say our policy runs from August to August, and in the, in the middle of the winter I go to a grooming seminar and I learn about nail trimming um, or um, new bathing techniques or, you know, a little bit about grooming, you know, the dog's genital area. Are those things now that I should be going back to my policy, calling you guys and saying, like, hey, I just added three new services to my company. Are these things that we need to have a talk about, or is it 
you know, anything with a dog. They're, like you had mentioned, on-leash versus off-leash activities. Is there a way to make to maintain that that um, relationship with the people to say, like, hey, this is where I'm going. Am I still covered? Absolutely. And I, I strongly, first of all, I, I compliment you for taking continuing ed. I think that's, you know, one of the things that gives, you know, rise to the claims is that a lot of people don't educate. They say, well, I'm just going to be a, a dog walker. Uh, and I'm going to make some money, and I'm going to be a pet sitter, or like they sign up on one of these uh, big websites like uh, Rover.com. I'm going to bore people. You know, they don't take the time to, to understand that this is a, really a profession. I mean, I know clients that have started as one that do well over a million dollars in sales in their pet sitting and dog walking businesses, but they take it seriously and they educate themselves and I've also seen the other side of the coin where one person has four claims in the first year, two dog bites, and two pet injuries. And, you know, you got to – you just hit your head and say, oh. So how – what does someone have to do to, you know, grow a business and start out? You know, you, you want to make sure that you're educating yourself and understanding the risk involved. But the question that you, you asked about services, I think absolutely you want to consult with your agent. You know, whether it's our agency or any agency that you're working with, I would always question, you know, most insurance policies, a liability policy, will give you some coverage unless there's a specific exclusion. So, okay. you know, in, in our association programs, due to the type of uh, services that we provide, there, you know, the pet care field has grown. And so, you know, when we first started, there wasn't much, many people doing pet massage. You know, now we have... Uh, search and, and rescue uh, dog groups. We have people out there that, that uh, will take a dog and look for, look for other pets. So, I mean, there's lots and lots of different types of things that have come on in the last 25 years. Um, so I would always consult with my insurance professional and check, you know, and we can, under our association policies, we can add grooming, we can add boarding, we can add training, all of those, those various uh, options that you might have as you grow your business but you but each one of them has a a proper endorsement so we have to add that to the policy because they're not given automatically and then there's so then there's other policies on the market where there's a business owner's policy that they they may say well we'll, we'll cover grooming we'll cover pet sitting but we're not covering training and or we'll yeah. have some that might say we cover training and grooming but we're not covering pet sitting so, and when I say they, we're not covering, that means they're not going to cover it at all. There is no endorsement. So you need to know that your policy is covering everything that you want it to cover so that you don't run to the problem at claim time. That's one of the things I get from a lot of young entrepreneurs that they're starting these companies. They, you know, you get educated, you continue to do your thing, and then a client says, oh, well, could you help me with that little problem? And now you just opened up a whole new can of worms because you going out walking a dog is very different than educating a human how to control their dog. That's training. That's so you right. want to be very careful that if you tell them to do something and they do it and the dog comes out to be injured, that, you know, that's you weren't yep. covered for that. And when you're doing training, you have to really take into consideration, that, you know, what's professional and what's, you know, if you're, if you're telling people that, is basing everything based on your profession, you definitely will have an errors and emission exposure. You know, under our policy, we cover the care, testing, controls and anything that happens, whereas there's policies out there that will, will give you professional liability, and there's true professional liability, which is 
that will cover a dog trainer for its errors and omissions even after the fact. So the training's been completed, and they, they, someone alleges that the dog was not trained properly, and because it bit, we want to sue the dog trainer. And so we, we offer all those policies as well, but, you know, a lot of times people, I've heard other insurance agencies even that are in, that specialize in the pet care field telling people that they have coverage for after the fact. When you read the policy coverage form, that is not the case. And they have no, and these wow. insurance companies have no intent of covering the after the fact exposure. And under our association policies, we, under the trainers, we usually offer a small amount for frivolous claims that would cover defense. And then we can offer a, a higher limit through another insurance company. But you gotta read the coverage form okay. and you gotta make sure that your professional, whoever you're dealing with, is accurately understanding and knows what they're doing. You know, so I, I mean, there's several of us out here that are specialists and we've, we've been doing it for 25 years, but there's others out there. Just make sure that they're, they're, they're doing it. And I would also recommend that you look at the coverage form and go over it with them. One of the other things I hear a lot about is bonding. If you're a solo entrepreneur, do you, do, is bonding something you have to, to be worried about if you're the only person going into the home or does it still add a little bit of security to the owners to know that you are bonded or, or could you just do a little uh, cover a little bit of that? Yeah, the problem uh, bonding is is a is is a key to any startup, and and the reason I say that is because most if you if you ever see a contractor's truck that comes by and it says insured and bonded, and most people wonder what's that mean. You know, the bond. <laughs> a lot of people don't want you to come into their house unless they know you're honest. And if you, especially if you're, you're advertising services over the Internet, they don't know you from that thief down the street. They don't know you from that uh, predator or whatever. They don't, they don't know that. And the bond makes people feel secure that their stuff is not going to be stolen. And if it is, the bonding company is going to go after you. But, you know, they're going to you know, get you. You're going to get caught, and they're going to recoup their loss from the bonding company. The bonds are not made the same, though, so people have to be aware. You know, under the bonds that we offer, we have removed the conviction clause. So there is just a proof, uh, like a burden of proof. If you can say, well, we've had this claim where somebody was caught on a nanny cam. We've had a spouse who, who's gone in and stole medications from the clients, and they later confessed. So things like that are covered under a bond. And, and even though you may be 100% honest, if you're just starting out and you're looking for new clients, a bond is a must. But Perfect. once you have, once you've gotten those clients and you built up a, a, a clientele, and they know you're honest, the bond's not necessary. You know, but at that point, they people realize that you're honest. They probably don't care if you have a bond. You know you're not going to steal. Then you're probably okay. You know, if you if you start out that way and you have a dozen clients that they're all the same and they're your friends and they know you and you know you're not going to steal, yeah. you know, then maybe you don't need a bond. But if you hire somebody, you know, even if it's your best friend, you never know who's, who might steal some medications. And then if they were to let someone in the house, you know, then you have a liability yeah. exposure. So. You know, that's where the bond and the liability can overlap because if we've had a couple of big claims this year where they, the uh, pet sitter was an independent contractor and working for another for a pet sitting business, and the independent contractor decided to uh, have a couple friends over to, to the client's home, which is absolute no-no, by the way. But And so the guys came back later, and they left the window open, and, and they robbed the people. 
And so that was a liability claim because there was negligence on behalf and that causing damage to the home. And and so, yeah, you have to be real careful. But bonding, I, I do think, is a necessity when you're first starting, especially if you're marketing your services. But, you know, if you have close friends and acquaintances that know you, you know, it, it, it would be completely up to you to, to let that bond go at a later date. I always see when construction guys and, like you're saying, drive around, um, and I, I knew what it was for, but yeah, like it's a very good advertising piece in the beginning to build a rapport with people you don't know yet. Yeah, Great and, and then you know, so even though most people know, see, a lot of times sole proprietors think, well, they hear it from insurance agencies, bonds won't cover the owner. Our policies, our bonding is designed to cover the owner, independent contractors, okay. or employees. So you have to make sure that if you're buying it, if you're going to go to the trouble of buying one, make sure it's one that would cover you. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but because each bond is not created you know, exactly the same, just like no two businesses are the same. I had read before for, in other articles about how it doesn't cover the owner. So um, mm -hmm. uh, that's why I had, was curious if it was something if you're just by yourself, if you need. But um, that's a wonderful thing to know that you guys do uh, actually cover the owner of the business as well. Last thing I wanted to touch on was – Contractors and employees, I know that's a very, that's a tax question, which is a whole other thing, mm -hmm. but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the liability. I read a couple of your articles and different things, and so I'm finally busy. Um, I'm deciding to bring on someone, whether it be a contractor um, or an employee. What, what are some of the things before I bring them on that I should be thinking about as far as having them covered or checking their coverages? Is there... What would be my first step? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a couple things that you're, you're going to come into play there. One is certainly if you have employees, you're going to have payroll tax and you're going to have tax issues. Um, as independent contractors, they may appear um, like it's going to be less expensive, but you need to consult with insurance professional as well because, you know, the only way to cover injuries to you or your employees or even an independent contractor is via workers' compensation. So, and that's a separate okay. uh, insurance policy altogether. And, and what people aren't aware of is IRS tax law is not the same. With workers' comp law, every state has workers' comp law. IRS is basically a federal law, and so you have to follow the federal laws and the state laws. And so gotcha. a lot of times people call their people, their staff, we'll call them staff members, They'll call them independent contractors. And when you read the definition of an independent contractor under a workers' comp statute, it doesn't say this quite the same thing. Just because you pay somebody okay. via 1099, they are not necessarily an independent contractor when it comes to workers' comp. And so a lot okay. of people, a lot of people, I mean, I would say the good majority up until recently, had, were, that's how they, they, they worked and that's how they felt. And then we started seeing insurance, uh, not insurance companies, but states crack down, um, you know, the state of Virginia, the state of New Jersey, and they didn't even recognize independent contractors. And they stated that if you did not have a workers' comp policy, you could be fined, you know, in some cases, 250 to to $1,000 a day um, for not getting that right. So you need to talk to an insurance professional who, you know, we, we have – I keep track of all 50 states because we have clients in all 50 states, and we know the statutes there, and we can look it up for you. There's also information that talks about, you know, you can cover an owner. A lot of people think, well, I can't cover myself, and why would I want to? I've got health insurance. Well, mm. the reason you might want to is because in some states, the health insurers won't even cover if it's a on-the-job injury. So if you went and they find if someone knew 
say you, had, you had it out in your car and then you, you go in with a, a dog bite, yeah, you can say it happened with my own pet, but if they find out it was while you were working, they may, they may try to deny the claim. And, you know, with the changes in the health laws, we're seeing more and more of the insurance companies here in North Carolina, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. You know, I, I had a back injury where that I caused. I was actually at an association conference, and I was lifting some weights, and I, I hurt my back, and I had a back surgery. And I turned it into my health insurance provider, and they sent me a letter, and to, to, they wanted me to check off that I was verifying that this was not a worker's comp claim. And most of the time when you go to an ER emergency room, they will tell you, they'll ask you that question. Is this a work claim or, you know, is this an on-the-job injury or is this a health insurance claim? And, you know, you give them the answer and then the, the uh, insurance company will determine, you know, they'll also look into it and make sure that's the case. So mm -hmm. you, you, you want to make sure, and, and then the other thing that people don't understand about workers' comp, it doesn't just cover medical injuries. So let's say you're an individual sole proprietor and you get injured on the job and you can't work for three weeks and you're used to pulling $1,000 or $500 a week in pet sitting or dog walking. Now you have no income. Under a worker's comp policy, typically they, they won't pay for the first seven days, but then after seven days they pay the disability and they'll pay your lost wages. And so you would, be, you would continue to get paid by that policy if you could not work. And then after 21 days, they typically go back and they'll pick up the first seven. So you, you would actually, you know, if you got, you know, we've had, we had a, a, worker, a very large workers' comp claim uh, where the guy, he was 60 years old and he can, he, he'll never work again because he had an accident and he uh, had a pre-existing condition. But the, the workers, the injury caused the pre-existing condition to get a lot worse. And so if it wouldn't have been for the accident, that he would have never had complications to that, that condition. Mm -hmm. So it was ruled that, you know, it was a workers' comp claim. The workers' comp company had to pay and then has to pay uh, his lost wages and has to settle with him because he'll never work again. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize that that, that it is both a, a uh, medical and it also co covers lost wages and settlements. And, you know, it's also the primary, the, the first responder. So if, you know, let's say you got injured at someone's house by their dog. You can sue the homeowner. That's that's fine. You know, they have a you might have a medical payments limit under that that's going to pay you a thousand dollars under a homeowner's or maybe two thousand. Okay, so you get the medical payments limit, but your medicals, let's say, are, are twelve thousand dollars, and then you're going to have to have surgery. It, it could be a year or two before you see any money after if you sue that liability, unless they're just you know blatant negligence and the insurer just wants to settle. You know, because suits take time, and you got to realize when you have a dog bite claim, it could last a year. It could last up to four years, and then, as we talked about earlier, if it's a child, it could last, you know, until they're 18. So, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things that come into play, and I we, we see workers' comp claims all the time. And in, in the beginning, we used to get calls from people who would be crying, and they thought they had coverage for their injuries under the liability policy. And is that no general liability policy is going to cover your employees or independent contractors. Uh, they're only going to cover injuries to the other people. So the only way to cover those injuries to you and your independent contractors is to um, purchase a workers' comp policy. The, or if you do use independent contractors and they really are true independents, typically most of the statutes will say that they need to have 
their own policies, meaning if they're an independent contractor and they're insured under your liability policy, that's a tool for the job. So they really are not independent anymore. So in that case, they need to have their own liability policy and they need to have their own workers' comp policy and provide you with a certificate. They also need to be able to work for other people doing the exact same trade for other people that they do for you so that they truly are independent. And you you can't really hire them. You have to, you know, maybe it's an opportunity, a business opportunity to set up their own business. So you don't have any control because if you have control, it's probably not an independent contractor. That's always something I know a lot of people get intimidated by. What you're saying is the liability uh, as an independent contractor or an employee, if a liability, something happens, like we talked about before, the house, the dogs, it's covered under my policy, but if actually one of the participants gets injured, the actual walker or myself, then that's where the workers' compensation comes in. That's right. And, and you know, the workers' compensation company would, would, would pay those claims from day one. And they, they mm-hmm. subrogate to help get their money back if there is somebody to sue. If the dog was known to bite or had a propensity to bite, you know, that, they, that uh, workers' comp carrier may pay your claim, and then they may subrogate against that liability carrier of the dog or whether it's a homeowner's policy or, you know, it could be a rescue organization that you're walking the dog for. You know, they can go after those people if they feel like there's liability there. But this takes your initial injury and, and medical and lost wages off the table when you have a, a workers' comp policy. It's going to make sure you're covered and anybody that's working for you is covered. This is kind of off the off topic. Um, I'm glad you brought this up because it's something I teach in my course, and I'm just curious because I never thought about the liability. So say I am a dog walker. I'm insured. I have all the things that you're talking about, and I do go to volunteer with a rescue. They're not paying me. Do I still have liability coverage because I'm a professional handling a dog, or how, how would that work? If I wanted to continue to get education, one of the things I teach in the class is to continue to get education. One of the best places to handle dogs is rescues and shelters. Free education yep. constantly. So would I be covered there? Yeah, but you would not be covered under your policy because you're not doing any work or performing work for them. Now, we do have some okay. trainers. That, we have trainers that are, are professional trainers that are insured, and they go in and train in a rescue or okay. a humane society. Now, that they would have coverage. But if you're just volunteering, you'll be covered under their policy as long as they have one. Gotcha. And most, you know, we insure a lot of rescues, and we, we insure a lot of nonprofits across the United States. And most of them do have policies, unless they're brand new. You know, those policies aren't, they're a little bit more expensive than a pet sitting policy uh, because there's a little mm-hmm. bit more liability when you're dealing with homeless animals and, and, and fostering. So, you know, typically you see about a premium about a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars to cover a million dollars, but it typically will cover volunteers and anyone working in the organization. Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. That was so much great information. What's the best way to get in touch? Like, So if somebody wanted to go through the application process with your company, like where would, where would they start? Do they go to the website? Would you recommend they call and talk to an agent? What, what's the, what do you guys well, recommend? I, I would say both. I mean, you can always get started and go, just go to PetSitterInsurance.com. And you, you can see the associations. We, we've worked with NAPS and PSI. For for years, really, mm-hmm. NAPS was the very first one, and PSI was came right, you know, maybe a year or two later. So we've those two are our our largest pet sitting associations, and it, you can learn about coverages on that site. You can actually apply online, okay. but you know, if you want a, a, a little bit more information, and I, I would say we we would welcome calls at one eight hundred nine six two four six one one. 
and we have we have seven licensed reps that, that only work in pet care. So you know that's a difference between us calling a, a generalist to somebody that's just a, a local agent. And you know you got to be careful when you go to someone like a, a nationwide or a state farm, which is a direct writer that doesn't specialize. Because I, I too many times I found people who who heard me speak or seen me at a conference, and they said my my policy is with State Farm, and they had no idea that there's an exclusion on there. And yeah, they've got a little bit of coverage for the animals in their care, but they don't really have any you know any of the property coverage. So for the contents, they they don't really get it. And so you know if it's not us, I would highly recommend that you 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 look online or call us. Or call another person that that really does pet care that understands you know the ins and outs. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. That's why I wanted to get in touch with you and have you on because I've read so much of what you've done and I've seen how long you've been doing it. And uh, I, I just I want my students to have the best information. I don't want them to then take this and then have to go do a bunch of other research. I want them to focus on their business and get going forward in what they actually want to do, which is being with the dog. So uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all your experience. Hopefully we can, you know, in my second course, hopefully we can talk a little bit more about some of the other uh, liabilities that we have to be covered for. So thank you so much for uh, coming in on and, and sharing some time with us. No, Gary, I thank you, and I applaud your efforts in, in, in teaching and getting the word out. I think that's so valuable in our industry, and that's what we've been born out of, and that's what I, I try to do. I'm open to, to – I know there's competition out there, and people want to go other places. We just want the very best for, for all of them, so we want to make sure they're covered correctly. And so uh, anybody that is teaching or consulting, I always applaud their efforts to, to get the word out and so people can understand it from the start. So thank you. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. You have a, you have a good one. Day. Okay, Gary. You do the same. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.